0: Each week as I prepare the next message in this series on the prayer Jesus gave us to model what our prayer life should look like, the Lord's Prayer, and each week I think to myself as I'm preparing that message, man, this this hits pretty hard. As I went, went into this series on the Lord's Prayer, I really had no idea just how challenging some of these messages were going to be, to be honest with you. I just thought, man, let's learn how to pray the way Jesus taught us to pray, and but as we've gone through this the holy spirit has just been really hitting us hard each week and then i came to this week and i can honestly say i don't think there's a more difficult prayer to pray than what we're talking about this week and it's found in matthew 6 verse 10 where jesus said may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven At first glance, that doesn't seem to be all that challenging, but let's dive into it. And I think pretty quickly, you'll realize what we're talking about. And the first thought I want you to kind of have just running in the back of your mind is this, how would your life change if doing God's will became your first priority? How would your life be different if doing God's will became your first priority over everything else in your life? Some prayers really are harder to pray than others. I learned that many, many years ago when my father died. Uh, You see, for 20 years at that point, I had been praying for my dad to give his life to Jesus. Uh, He was an alcoholic and I didn't see that changing other than a miracle. Uh, I eventually could just pray this, God, do whatever it takes to save my dad. I would pray every day. And really all it came down to is God, do whatever it takes to save my dad. Let your will be done in his life. And then eventually his liver failed and he ended up in the hospital in a coma and he died within a matter of weeks. But before he died, he woke up briefly as my former pastor's wife was visiting and she asked him if he wanted to give his life to Jesus. And even though he couldn't speak, With a nodding head and a tear rolling down his cheek, he prayed, he repented, and invited Christ into his life. He was born again, and then he died. And then I began to wonder, you know, was this the answer to my prayer? Is this what I prayed for? And that he would end up in a hospital hooked up to machines? And I had to honestly answer, yes. That's exactly what I prayed for, because I asked God to do whatever it took to save my dad and for God's will to be done in his life. And both of those happened. And I will see my dad in heaven one day because of that. That's what happens sometimes when we pray in the darkness, where we can't see the end, where we can't see through to the other side. We can't see the answer. We just know that we need to pray. And over the years, I came to understand that nearly everyone is in a similar situation sooner or later, where we're facing incredibly difficult circumstances and we know we want to pray. Maybe you've stood beside the bed of a loved one and found that prayer was nearly impossible or you've faced a difficult circumstance so intense that you didn't even know what words to use when you prayed or when you have not prayed because you are afraid of the answer that God might give you. Prayer does that to every one of us at times in our lives. And it seems so easy on Sunday morning, right? When we're surrounded by church people and we're just kind of praying for the service or we're praying for the week. Or Why is it so hard sometimes to pray when the hard times come? Maybe we're afraid of what God will say in response to our prayers. What if we ask for guidance and he guides us in a way we don't want to go? What if we pray for patience and the answer is, means nothing but trouble and difficulty for us as God teaches us patience. What if we ask for guidance and he guides us in a way that we're not comfortable heading? This really shouldn't surprise us. None of that should catch us off guard because Jesus hinted at the problem when he gave us the Lord's Prayer because included in that model prayer were these words, may your will be done on earth As it is in heaven. And here's why this can be such a struggle for us, okay? Let me kind of lay it out logically for us. First of all, God has a will concerning my life. God has a will concerning my life. And God's will encompasses his desires for my life. But I also have a will that encompasses my desires for my life. We all have one. And those two wills can often be in conflict with one another. And when there is conflict, either God's will or my will must prevail. One of those two has to win out. So when I pray, may your will be done, I am asking that God's will prevail over my will. When I pray, may your will be done, I am asking that God's will will prevail over my will. And that's the basic difficulty we face when we pray. When we ask that God's will would be done, we are asking that our will would be overturned if necessary. And that's good theory, but it's not easy to pray that way when you're standing by the bedside of someone you love. But that's only part of the problem. Jesus taught us to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is, or in the same way that it is done in heaven. Exactly how is God's will being done in heaven? If the reference is to the angels, as I think it is, then God's will is always being done in heaven. Psalm 103, verses 20 and 21. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. Yes, Praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve him and do his will. In heaven, God's will is always done. In heaven, God's will is instantly done. In heaven, God's will is completely done. It is joyfully done. Jesus asks us to pray that we might become a little bit more like the angels who always obey and a little less like the demons who never obey. When that happens, the earth will become a little bit more like heaven and a little bit less like hell, but it rarely happens. This is going to be kind of a, maybe an awkward statement to hear, but God's will is rarely done on the earth. And I'm talking about in the moment, individual decisions. God's will will ultimately be done on the earth. There's no question of that. God has established the way things will be, and we are headed towards that. But in the moment, individual decisions, God's will is rarely done on the earth. I mean, there's almost 8 billion wills on the earth, individual wills, and still only one will in heaven. Just look around you. Do you see God's will being done on a regular basis in the decisions people make? Browse the headlines and read about another school shooting. Read about the rising tension between Israel and Hamas. In recent years, the news has been full of ugly tales of sexual misdeeds by the top elected officials in our lands. I remember a few years back, right here in Texas, a middle school teacher getting pregnant by one of her students after a long-term relationship. I mean, on and on the stories go. And a fair assessment of the situation would be that someone else's will is being done and not God's. In some ways, your will be done seems like kind of the most hopeless of all prayer requests because We see it the exact opposite so much. And the hardest part is this. God gave us a free will and he won't take that away. If you don't want to do his will, he will let you go your own way. May your will be done is a difficult prayer to pray sincerely. Those five one-syllable words, may your will be done, is a difficult prayer. It may be the hardest prayer you will ever pray. Let's spend a few minutes kind of talking about what it means to ask that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here's the first thing. Praying your will be done means giving up control of your own life. Praying your will be done means giving up control of your own life. Only one will can be done at a time. Either God calls the shots or you call the shots. Either he is in control or you're in control. It's not easy to pray like that because it means you have to give up control of your own life, of your circumstances, of what you think is happening and what you think you should be doing. In the 1980s, uh, Jim Baker was one of the most prominent and important Christian leaders in America. Uh, He was the founder of PTL Ministries. He led one of the largest broadcasting empires in the world and millions of people watched him on television every day. And then came the fall. First, his affair with Jessica Hahn came to light, then came accusations of greed, of fraud, further sexual misconduct, tabloid headlines everywhere, and it all eventually led to a trial that ended in a prison sentence for Jim Baker. And he suffered a nervous breakdown that was trumpeted from coast to coast, and after going to prison, he suffered the final blow when his wife uh, divorced him and married one of his former best friends. Few people have fallen so far and so fast. I remember going to his family vacation spot that they created called Heritage USA uh, with our family several times in the 80s, several years running. We would go down there and we would go on vacation. It was just a a wonderful place, to be honest. It was a fantastic place, a Christian environment that you could go uh, on family vacations. And then I also followed the details of the collapse of his empire on the other side of that but when he went to prison, I kind of forgot about it. But God didn't. And that much is evident from a book he wrote. Uh, He wrote a book called I Was Wrong. And after being released from prison, Jim Baker wrote about the events leading up to his fall and the things that happened while he was in prison. And after writing at some length about the total despair and the humiliation that he felt, he describes a moment in prison when he simply began to read the Bible. And he cried out and he said this, God, why am I here? There are so many dying men in prison. How can I help them? And it seems like kind of a normal prayer to pray, right? I'm here for a purpose. I've got to help these men. And the answer from God surprised him. You are arrogant. You think you are the only person I have in this prison? I have many others here. I am God. I did not bring you to prison to minister. I brought you here to know me. That was the turning point for him. By his own admission, he had been this extremely ambitious man. After climbing to the pinnacle of evangelical success, he ended up losing everything. And little by little, God stripped it all away and left him with nothing but guilt and pain and failure because he refused to let go of those. And when he finally hit rock bottom, Jim Baker met God in a new way. What he learned in prison, we all have to learn sooner or later and that's this the only thing that matters is knowing God and doing his will. Everything else in life should revolve around those two things, knowing God and doing his will. When we truly pray your will be done, things probably won't work out the way we planned. And some things will end up the opposite of what we expected. But that doesn't mean your life will go out of control. It just means that your life will now be consciously passed into God's Control And when it comes down to it, there's no better place for your life to be, is under the control of the one who knows and created all things and has the plan for how all things will end. You see, praying your will be done means trusting God to do whatever he thinks is best. And that's the second thing that we learn from this prayer. Praying your will be done means trusting God to do whatever he thinks is best. We've all been in the place of understanding the frustration of unanswered prayer. Maybe it was for something small when you were a kid praying for a new bike or for God to give you a German shepherd. Uh, Maybe you asked God to open the door for you to go to a certain college and that didn't happen. Or maybe it was for something truly big, like prayers at the bedside of a loved one, as we have uh, already mentioned. Uh, Prayers for a sick child, prayer for a failing marriage. When God doesn't answer our prayers or when he doesn't answer in the way we want him to, This is the point where our faith is truly put to the test. Do we trust God to lead us in the best direction or don't we? Do we really want God's kingdom to come as we talked about last week and for his will to be done, or do we just want to be happy, content, and provided for? I I want to read that one again, because I think that's so important for us to really pause and think through this statement. Do we really want God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done? Or we just, do we just want to be happy, content, and provided for? Our biggest problem, see, when it comes down to it, is not, is there a God? The much greater question is, is there a God in heaven who cares for me? Does he know my name? Does he understand my problems? Does he have any interest in me? Does he see my struggles? Does he feel my pain? Does he care what happens to me? Because millions of people, including millions of loyal church attenders, secretly wonder if the answer to those questions maybe is no. A God who is there, yes. A God who cares for me, I'm not sure. But how can you answer yes to one and no or maybe not to the other? If there is a God, he has to care for me, right? But the questions move on two different levels here. The existence of God is primarily a mental or a logical problem. We, we get there through kind of thinking through things. When we talk about God's concern for me personally, that's entirely different. Because when we ask those questions, it's asked most of the time by people who have known some deep pain or some periods of suffering in their lives. And for them, the question is very personal. If God cares for me, how could he let my son die? Or where was God when my husband lost his job? Or why didn't God stop that drunk driver who ran my parents off the road? These are questions that were forged from the fire of really horrible despair. And it's that point in our lives where we have to answer that question. How do you pray your will be done when you aren't sure that God really cares for you? If you knew, really knew that he had your best interest in heart, you might dare to pray that way. But as long as you doubt, that prayer will be almost impossible for you to pray. So let's talk about that. There are a lot of answers to the question, does God really care for me? But there's only one that really matters. It's the answer God gave 2,000 years ago on a hill outside the city walls of Jerusalem. On a hot Friday afternoon, the Romans crucified a man They thought to be a Jewish troublemaker. Only later did they understand who he really was as the man overseeing the crucifixion declared surely he was the son of God. His name was Jesus. He came from a small town in Galilee called Nazareth. He started his ministry by preaching in the synagogues and then went from village to village and his fame spread until thousands came out to hear him speak. In the end, the authorities found him to be a threat to them and they decided to eliminate that threat. It took a long time to trap him, but they finally arrested him with the help of a traitor from his own followers named Judas. And Once he was arrested, he was tried, he was beaten, he was mocked, insulted, cursed, abused, slapped, scourged, and crowned with thorns. Eventually, he was condemned to die, and for six hours, he hung on the cross. At the end, after suffering excruciating pain, he bowed his head, and he died. And God said, do you still wonder? if I love you. And here's the thing, for some people, even the death of God's son will not be enough to prove to them that God loves them. But if the death of God's son is not enough, then nothing God can do will make any difference. That is the ultimate example of God's love for us. And that's why the most crucial word of the Lord's prayer is in the very first phrase, our Father in heaven. To call God Father means that you recognize what he did when he gave his own son to die on the cross for you. He knows what it is to lose a son. He knows about pain and suffering. He knows the anguish of false accusations. He knows all about hatred. He knows about death. He's seen it up close and personal. There's nothing that we go through that he can't relate to and has not already experienced. He watched his son die in agony. Father is not some phrase to toss around when we pray, It's what Christian prayer is all about. God is worthy to be called father precisely because he has done what good fathers must do. He sacrificed his best because He, the best that he had for the welfare of his children. When you wonder, when you doubt, just look to the cross. Jesus was crucified there for you. See his face, see the wounds in his hands, his feet, his side. It was for you that he died And we can't possibly, in the light of that sacrifice, doubt that God loves us. Next, we have to understand that praying your will be done means we may face suffering and pain. When we pray your will be done, it it may mean, it may lead to our suffering and our pain. It was true for Jesus. I mean, it was late Thursday night before we now know as Good Friday, Jesus retreats to his favorite spot, the olive groves in Gethsemane, leaving Peter, James, and John a short distance behind. Jesus went ahead, and he wrestled in prayer with what was about to happen. He knows the time has come for him to die. Everything has been revealed. Nothing is hidden. It was for this moment that he came into the world, and he knows what is waiting for him. Nothing will surprise him, not Judas's wicked kiss, not Caiaphas mocking him, not Pilate's questioning. The pain, the blood, the anguish, all of it is seen as clearly to him as if it had already happened. Jesus knows what is coming towards him. And most of all, he sees the blackness, sin like a dark cloud falling on him. Sin, something he has never personally experienced before. Although he's all too familiar with the effects of sin on those around him, Even the word is repugnant to him. Sin in all its ugliness and all its hideous power now stretches out in front of him. All the evil that men can do, the total of all the iniquity of every man and woman from the beginning of time. And as Jesus sees the cup filled with all of humanity's sin approaching him, as he prepares to become sin on the cross, he pulls away. And these are his words in Matthew 26, verse 39. My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yes, I want your will to be done. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Now, here's the thing. You can read that and say, wow, is Jesus doubting? These are not the words of unbelief, though. They are words of faith. They are the words of someone who fully understands what it will cost to do the will of his Father in heaven. Was it wrong for Jesus to pray that way? God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Did it somehow reveal a lack of trust in God in that moment? No, not at all. No one was ever more committed to doing the will of God than Jesus. He didn't pray this prayer because he wanted to be released from God's will. He prayed because he knew how much the will of God would cost him personally. He was willing to pay the price, but the horror of seeing that cup of suffering draw near, he asked that it might be removed from him. So here's the point. If Jesus wrestled, if Jesus struggled with the will of God and what it would cost him, should we be surprised if we do the same? If it was difficult for Jesus to pray your will be done, is it likely to be any easier for us? Jesus is exhibit A of what it costs to pray your will be done. It cost him his life. And trilogy, I don't know what it will cost you to pray your will be done. But if it costs you less than everything, you didn't mean it. I don't know what it will cost you to pray the words, your will be done. But if it costs you less than everything, you didn't mean it. Because when we pray your will be done, we are surrendering everything in this life, including our own lives, to the will of God. And know this, God's plan is to redeem everyone who will receive him. That's God's plan for humanity, to redeem everyone. For it is God's will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everyone to come into a saving knowledge of his grace through Jesus Christ. And whatever it takes to see that happen, we have to be willing to move in that direction. If it costs my life savings, if it costs my house, my family, or my life, for even one person, To avoid hell and spend eternity in God's presence, how can I not say that would be worth it? Because I know what waits for me in heaven. I know Melissa and my kids will be there. I know I can't take my money or my home or my possessions. God's will is all that matters. And man, that's a tough prayer to pray. But it was tough for Jesus to pray that prayer. So we're actually, when we struggle in that prayer, we're identifying with Jesus in the garden as he wrestled with that same prayer. But ultimately, we need to bend the knee and say, God, whatever it takes for your will to be done, use me. Finally, when we pray your will be done, it means praying against the status quo. It means not being satisfied with the way things are. God's will is very often ignored on the earth. Too many things that go on are obviously not God's will. Killing the unborn is not God's will. Homosexuality is not God's will. Single moms raising children alone is not God's will. Pastors losing churches over moral failures, rampant pornography, ethnic cleansing, racial prejudice, serial killings, greed and corruption. None of this is God's will. And yet our world is full of all of these things. And sometimes it can seem as if God has gone to sleep and Satan has taken over, doesn't it? Now think about the next sentence carefully. God does not accept the status quo. He does not accept Satan's power play for God's rightful place in the world. He does not accept that sin should reign forever on the earth. He does not accept that. He does not accept that the killing should go on, that God does not sit idly by while the world goes to hell. That's why he sent the prophets in the Old Testament who thundered out his message to ancient Israel. That's why he raised up mighty men like Moses and Joshua and David. That's why he inspired his prophets to write down his words. That's why he wrote the Ten Commandments with his own fingers. God does not accept the status quo. He sent his own son into the world to change the status quo, to shift how things would be forever. What if the prophet, I mean, what the prophets could not accomplish with their words, his son accomplished by the incarnation. Jesus became flesh and he showed us what the new should look like. At Bethlehem, when Jesus was born, God sent a message to the world and the message was this, things are going to change. God intervened in human history in the most dramatic fashion possible by invading our timeline with his presence. To pray your will be done is to follow God in opposing the status quo. This prayer goes against the grain. In a world where God's will is not done, we are to pray that God's will would be done and we wanna be part of that. They are fighting words, words that rebel against everything that is evil and wrong on planet earth. Because if God does not accept the status quo, neither should we. And I see far too many people who fill our churches on Sundays in recent days, acquiescing to the will of the masses and saying, well this is the way it just has to be. And I say, no, it does not. If it counteracts the truth of scripture, if it counteracts the truth and the reality that God has told us should be, then we cannot be content with what is and with the direction things are going. And we need to pray against the status quo, against the direction that culture would dictate or that politics would say, or that even some churches would say, yeah, we just have to go in this direction because this is the new normal. guys, we have to take a stand for what is right and pure and holy and take a stand on the side of justice and where God is, because where God is, is where we need to be. And where God's will is, is where we need to go. Praying your will be done is often said with kind of a passive resignation as if we really kind of meant, well, your will be done, but we know things will never change anyway. We live in the in-between time right now where Christ has come and gone and will one day come back again. The king announced his kingdom and then disappeared from the earth. We know that better days are coming, but they aren't here yet. We live in a world with too much killing, too many broken marriages, too much greed, too many broken promises. And praying your will be done is an act of God-ordained rebellion against the status quo. This is not a prayer for the weak, or for the timid. This is a prayer for godly troublemakers. It is a prayer for believers who look at the devastation all around us and who say, I am angry and I'm not going to take it anymore. It is a prayer that leads to action. And if you see injustice being done, you cannot pray your will be done and then walk away. If you really mean your will be done, you've got to jump into the fight and help make it happen. Let me summarize everything that I've said this morning. Praying your will be done means at least four things. Giving up control of your own life, trusting God to do whatever he thinks is best, accepting that personal pain and suffering may be part of God's will, and refusing to accept the status quo. And I fully admit that this is not easy to do. And that's why I said, guys, this may be the hardest part of the entirety of the Lord's prayer, what we're talking about today. And yet Jesus told us to pray this way. It's not wrong to struggle with this prayer. Jesus struggled with it himself. But over the years, I've discovered that the happiest people are those who have said, I've decided to let go of the controls and let God run my life. You will find the most joy in people who have gotten to that place. So many of us go through life with a clenched fist, trying to control the uncontrollable, trying to mastermind all the circumstances, trying to make our plans work and so we hold tightly to the things we value our career our reputation our happiness our wealth our children our education our possessions our health our plans we even hold tightly to life itself and I want you to know holding on that tightly to all of the things I just mentioned all it leads to is stress all it leads to is anxiety and worry Those things we hold on to so tightly never really belong to us in the first place. They always belong to God. He loaned them to us, and when the time comes, he will take them back again. The happiest people I know are the folks who have said, All right, Lord, I am letting go. I yield. I'm going to relax and let you take over. Whatever part you want me to play, I'm in, but it's yours. And then they really do it. They don't just pray the words, they mean it. So what are you struggling with letting go of today? What are you holding on to so tightly that it makes your hands hurt? What is it that you are afraid to give up to God? Whatever it is, you will be a lot happier when you finally say your will be done and then open your fist. But you'll never know till you let go. Here's a simple prayer that can help you loosen your grip on the things with which you are struggling. Jesus, may your will be done in my life. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else, amen. Are you ready to let go of whatever stands between you and God? Count the cost, take a deep breath, because only the brave will pray, may your will be done. Those five words have the power to change your life and to change your world forever. God, we thank you for this prayer today. As difficult as it is to think about, as difficult as it is to to process the repercussions of truly meaning a prayer like this, God, I pray you would get every one of us to the point where we are willing and able to pray that prayer May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I pray that as we begin to live that kind of life, let us see a radically different reality unfold around us. Let us see a radically different trilogy move forward in our community. God, let us reach people that we've never reached before because we're willing to let go of everything in our life, not holding anything back from you, but God, releasing it all into your hands and saying, God, it's not mine, it's yours. God, as we do that, transform us. Change the way we think, change the way we feel, change the way we process, change the way we live and act. God, let everything be different because we've gotten to the place of praying. May your will be done. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name we pray.